Oh, Father, I, uh, I'm just overwhelmed as I hear multiple voices singing those words. Um, Lord, many of them are voices that are just speaking in faith. That, that at this moment in their lives, they might not be able to see your provision, God. Like Elijah, they may, they may be at that place where they, they cannot see what tomorrow holds. And, and, and there, it's a cry of faith to say, I know you satisfy even when all I feel right now is hunger and thirst and longing and even fear. God, our hearts go out to those who are feeling alone right now, who are feeling in despair right now. God, all of us have, have touched on that. At some point in our lives, all of us have, have been tempted in that, in that same feeling. And, and you have proven yourself glorious. You have provided far beyond all we could have asked or imagined. So even as we gather here today by faith, God, in what you are able to do in those desperate situations, we cry out for those who even now in this place, online, in the community around us, and throughout the world are struggling to believe that there is meaning and purpose in life ahead. And God, we cry out that, that you might strategically place, that you might sovereignly, even miraculously, place someone in their lives at this moment who will be able to speak gospel who will be able to speak words of hope. Oh, God, thank you so much for surrounding the Green family in these, in these difficult last nine or ten days particularly. God, thank you for the sweet, sweet memories we have on mission fields and, and um, church outings together on potlucks and, and worship together of our sister. Thank you that she knew you and, and, and committed her life to the work of Jesus Christ, the God. And Lord, welcome her, would you, into eternity. God, we just long for that day when we stand together again, just as we were singing your praises here, and add our voices to myriad angels and saints who have gone before and worship you, God. Oh, we long for that day. In the meantime, God, we, we cry out for uh, Linda's extended family. We cry out for the extended families of those who, unlike Linda, have, have experienced uh, loss, maybe through despair and even suicide. God, take what the evil one meant for despair and turn it into good. Would you do that miracle again, God? Even... Uh, even in the confusion and the brokenness that leads someone to that place, I, I pray that you would shine light. And I'm just so grateful, God, for, for my sisters and my brothers here in this room who you strategically place in one another's lives. We rejoice, God, that in Jesus Christ there is always hope, no matter what our circumstances we can put our trust, God, in you, that you are going to provide. You are going to satisfy. Hmm. God, we just rejoice. 
even in the midst of this, that you have blessed us again with this reminder, even on Valentine's Day, that life will go on, that there is another generation, yet another one coming, God, who had the opportunity to know you, to trust you, and to worship you. God, I just cry out for the Hussman and, and, and Costner families. God, I just pray your richest blessing on them as they love and surround Jenny and her husband, God, and, 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 and bless them with an extended spiritual family who will raise up this child and this grandchild, this great-grandchild in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Thank you that all around us, God, are people, children and youth and adults who, who need to know the love of God. If it's possible, God, would you use us? If it's possible, would you take your word today, God, and allow us uh, to be able to bring light and life into their lives? And God, again, we just praise you that no matter how tired we get, no matter how hungry or thirsty we get, you satisfy. So we rejoice in that. We pray, God, that you would take your word now and, and speak through it. God, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to just open your word together. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you take that word and, and interpret it into each of our lives. You know our situations. You know our fears. You know our concerns. Lord, speak into our lives now. God, we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Well, we're continuing our, our study today of 1 Kings 19, but I'm going to invite you instead to turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians. It's been one of our companion uh, scriptures throughout our study of Elijah. Um, along with James uh, chapter 5, where we learned uh, that, we, that Elijah was a person just like us, Paul in 1 Thessalonians gives us some really positive things that we can do to uh, enhance our walk and our life with Jesus. So I'll get out of 2 Thessalonians and get into 1 Thessalonians. And I want to just note um, before we get to our actual scripture that this is a very familiar passage uh, to us. In a few verses before our passage for today, uh, I think it was last Thanksgiving that we looked at this passage, we saw that Paul encouraged the Thessalonians, rejoice always. Do you remember that? Pray without ceasing, right? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He continues, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Don't despise when God speaks through his word. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul cries out. And then he, then he pronounces this blessing. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole Spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful blessing. But look at this last line. He who calls you 
is faithful, and he will surely do it. Would you repeat that last verse 24 with me? He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. The very word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns to you void. God, especially as we deal with such a challenging topic today, I just pray your word would do that miraculous work in our hearts. And God, we'll give you the praise and the glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, wow. Wow. When we left the story of Elijah, and forgive me, it's a very long passage today. So my goal in in speaking to you of the passage is that is that it might uh, whet your appetite. It might uh, invite you to go back and look deeply into that. Yes, children, you're welcome to join your teachers and your fellow students in the back if you'd like to go to, to a special time of worship for you. But but I, I want to pick up the story from where we were. Do you remember uh, Elijah has been in this phenomenal experience? He... Uh, he was in a contest with the prophets of Baal, and, and God proved himself glorious. And that 20, okay, I stand corrected, Bill, 23-second prayer, he, um, he invited the fire of God to come down and consume the sacrifice. And as, as Pastor Bill noted last week, not only the, the sacrifice, but the wood, the stones, the bowl, everything, right? Everything. Just a phenomenal a phenomenal uh, display of God's glory and power. But like we sang, well, they left. Like we sang, like they sang earlier, um, sometimes God gives us those mountaintop experiences, right? And, and we rejoice. So you could probably name several of them in your lives. Our students are just coming back from one uh, today where they've been on retreat this weekend. We're just praying all weekend that God would meet them in that place and and bless them richly, right? Um, but it seems like oftentimes God leads us not only to the mountains, but also to the valleys, right? And and just and Elijah physically did that. He went down from the mountain and and down to the Kishon, and and there Elijah put to death. Elijah, it says Elijah, sure he had help, but it says Elijah put to death eight hundred and fifty prophets of Baal. I cannot imagine what his soul experienced then. I cannot imagine it, right? And then he went back up that 1,700 feet. A lot of us are backpackers, and 1,700 feet is a headache-giving climb. We call it a pull. It's a headache-giving pull. Nearly 2,000 feet of elevation change, right? And it wasn't the first time he'd gone up and down the mountain, right? He went back up, and you saw that time of intense prayer Pastor Bill shared with us as, as, as he invited God to end that drought. It was so fascinating, wasn't it? God told him the drought was going to end, but then he invited Elijah to pray for what God had already promised, right? God has made you some incredible promises, but, but the invitation of God is to pray them into reality, right? To partner with God in bringing those promises to reality, and so... And so he did, and, and then the storm came on, and, and there's this weird passage right there with what happens, right? The storm is coming, and he, and he says Ahab, who, from your and my perspective, would be our enemies, right? Um, this wicked, wicked 
king, he says, you better get off this mountain because it's going to rain, right? And then in this mystery that we're not familiar with in our culture, but was very common in theirs, um, he runs ahead of the chariot, right? In this mystery, I'm, I'm thinking about the running and missing why he's doing that, right? Elijah, after this incredible display of God's power through him, puts himself back in submission to, to Ahab. The people that ran in front of the chariots were the servants of the person in the chariot, right? And I don't know what was going on in Elijah's head. Certainly, he's not, he's not saying I'm not no longer a servant of God. Like Obadiah, we saw early in our story, he's putting himself in submission to the people that God had put in power. And, and he runs 18, somewhere between 18 and 26 miles back to Jezreel, right? When he gets there, I'm, I just can't, I, I have trouble running 18 minutes, right? Not 18 miles. And, uh, and when he gets there, now, I'm going to mix some of Dave in here. I want you to see when I mix it in. Um, I'm wondering if Elijah wasn't hoping, not, not wondering, I know he was hoping for national revival led by the most important person in that nation, led by Ahab, right? Ahab had just witnessed this, right? And Elijah puts himself back in submission. They go back to Jezreel, right? And who's in Jezreel? Jezebel is in Jezreel, and Ahab tells Jezebel everything Elijah did. And Jezebel says, may your life be like one of those prophets of Baal if I don't kill you by tomorrow, right? I'm going to kill you. And this saint, this amazing a person whose life really fleshed out his name, whose life really proclaimed that my God is Yahweh. This this amazing saint runs. He runs. And it's not clear in Scripture. All you see is the place names of the places that he ran. But they were in Jezreel. He ran over a hundred miles down to the very edge of the kingdom of Israel, to Beersheba. And, and there he left his servant and went one more day into the wilderness and cried out to God, Oh God, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I love God's word. It's real. It's authentic, right? It doesn't paint necessarily a pretty picture, but you've got the real pictures. Now, you precious saints, you who have walked with the Lord for some of you for decades, some of you for days, some of you for months, but you have walked with the Lord, sometimes our circumstances are overwhelming, right? Let's not, let's not pretend they're not, right? Sometimes we get overwhelmed and, and, and sometimes we're tempted to buy into the culture and respond as the culture would respond or, or worse. We're sometimes tempted to take ourselves out of the game, right? 
And so, so I love it that, that God did not take this part of the story out, that he left this part of the story in where Elijah comes to that same place that many of us have been at or will come to. I, I love it that Elijah was a person just like us. And the scripture tells us the whole story. What well, seemed it seemed like the journey was too much. It was too much for Elijah. And again, my heart breaks if you're in that place right now where you're feeling like the journey is too much for you. Hold on, sister. Hold on, brother. God's word is bringing hope, right? Hold on. But what do you do when the journey is too much for you. I would love to say that Elijah did it perfectly, right? But as we're going to see in the story, and and because we don't have a ton of time to do it here in your small groups this week, you're going to look in depth at this story, and you're going to be tempted, you're going to see things that you're tempted to gloss over and say that can't mean what Noah did. He He didn't handle this really well, right? But what do we do? What do we do? When the journey is too much for us, I want to encourage you to assess where you are. Did you see the question? Well, you didn't, we didn't read the scripture. What God said to Elijah twice, twice in that situation was this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Right? Have you ever noticed, Jesus did this countless times, but, but oftentimes God doesn't tell us what is true. He asks us the question that leads us to the truth. And what he asked Elijah was, what are you, Elijah, my servant, my precious child, what are you doing here? Now, now none of us are going to cast judgment on Elijah, not only because we've all been there, but, but we also recognize when, when sometimes when you're in a situation like that, you just think that you have two options. And both of those options were visibly on display here in Elijah's story. When most people come to that place of of desperation, they consider only fighting it, right? Fight or flight, right? That's a cliche in our culture, probably unique to to Western culture. but, But you can see it right here. What did Jezebel do when she heard that 850 of her personal uh, prophets who she had recruited from from Sidon and from other parts where Baal was worshipped to come and influence the culture, what did she do when she heard this devastating news that Elijah had put them to to death? She fought. She fought. She she said, I'm going to kill you, right? She fought back. Many of us, when we're in that situation... um, we, we consider the same thing. Now, it looks like I was in a fight yesterday, right? I, I, and it looks like I lost. And I did. The fight was with a racquetball wall. And I caught my foot and went headlong into the wall and, and made a mess in the racquetball court. But, but um, many of us, our response is that way too. I shared with you years ago a spectacular failure when fear drove me to fight and, and it was so ugly that the person said, and you call yourself a pastor when it was all done, right? Also on a racquetball court. My, my travails of life tend to happen on a racquetball court. Um, Elijah took the other option. 
Elijah, and I think this is where that, that cliche in our culture comes from. He ran for his life. He ran for his, literally ran for his life. And, he, and on top of the 18 plus miles that he'd already run, he ran a hundred more miles down to Beersheba, right? He ran for his life. Now, here's the amazing, the good news. There is a third option, beloved. Our, our options are not just fight or flight. Our options include a third one, and that is faith. That is faith. What many of you memorized at an early time in your life, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Right? What it looked like in Elijah's understanding was that, was that Jezebel was going to kill him, right? Well, let me ask you, did Jezebel kill Elijah? Um, some of you know the story. No. Did anybody kill Elijah? Oh, I'm pressing you now. Yeah, Elijah was the guy, what is that, Second Kings 2 maybe, where, where God met him at the end of his life and took him directly. Holy cow, right? What? Jezebel didn't win. But, but from Elijah's perspective, it looked like she would, right? So, so there is a third option here, and that's to believe what God says. No matter what Jezebel's in your life say, no matter what the world around you says, believe what God says, right? Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, right? And He will make straight your paths. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5-6. So, so how do we do that? Well, we saw in 1 Thessalonians 5 that, at least to help us understand ourselves, the Apostle Paul spoke of ourself in, in three terms, right? May your whole body and soul and spirit, uh, the Apostle Paul prayed, be kept blameless until the day of Christ, right? And so, so I want to I think about that just for a second in terms of Elijah's story. You know, let's assess ourselves physically, right? Um, we, we noted before, Vince Lombardi said, fatigue makes cowards of us all, right? And, and after 118 miles, and then another day, probably another 10 or 20 miles, um, Elijah was physically exhausted. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty, right? So physically, we've got to say, what's going on in my body right now, right? Um, I, I, uh, I'm so conscious of the effect of adrenaline, right? Uh, and when, when, when all of a sudden someone says to you, I'm going to kill you, right? The adrenaline gets going and you can do almost superhuman things. Sandy, did you ever hear that story about the mother whose car was under the car, uh, their child was under the car, and in the speed of superhuman strength, right? Uh, this was pre-internet days, but but um, my goodness, wouldn't that be an incredible video? She was able to lift the car off of her child. This was adrenaline. This gave amazing strength, right? But the problem is that one day that adrenaline runs out, right? And then what happens on the other side of an adrenaline rush? Anybody speak from experience? Crash and burn, right? I'm going to change that word just slightly, crush and burn. You can get crushed when 
when physically you become depleted. That's why I love this story. I've got to go back to, to our passage for today. Because what did God do? What was the first thing that he did for Elijah, right? Elijah passed out under that broom tree, and, and an angel gently awoke him and brought him food and water, right? Wow. And said, eat. Eat, Elijah. Because God knows the journey is too much for you, right? And so uh, uh, Elijah eats, right? Uh, Elijah drinks, right? And, and then he falls back asleep. I'm using a different Bible. It was marked in my other one. Um, and, and, oh, I'm looking for it because it's such a great verse. And he arose and he ate and drank. And then he fell back asleep, right? Um, that's my life verse. I rise, I eat, I drink, I go back to sleep. I did it this morning. I kid you not. 5.20 this morning. I got up, I rose, I drank, went back to sleep. But then the angel woke him up again. And, and, and he arose and ate and drank and went on the strength of that food for 40 more days and nights. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Start with the physical, beloved. When, when all of a sudden things seem out of balance, start with the physical. God created you for rest, right? He set apart one whole day a week, right? Just so that your body might recover, just so that you might not get into that place. But my guess is that you're like me, right? My guess is that, that you burn it up day in and, and day out. And, and, and you get yourself where you're so physically de- depleted that you can't even think straight, right? Possess yourself physically. Hear God's sweet invitation to eat and drink and rest, right? And rest. But then assess yourself also emotionally. What was, what was the problem for Elijah? It was exacerbated by his physical condition, but... But Elijah was afraid. He was afraid, right? And Elijah's situation was not appreciably different than any one of ours. The great enemy of faith is fear. The enemy knows that. Isn't it interesting that Jezebel didn't, she could have, he was in Jezreel. She could have gone right that moment and killed him, right? She could have. She didn't. What did she do instead? I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, right? And, and let Elijah's fear take over. Let, her, let his fear take over. And, and, and what happened? Uh, Elijah ran and then came to that place where he asked God to take his own life, right? He, she didn't need to kill him. He was going to ask God to do it. Um, so, so Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now I want you to note in this uh, here how important it is that, that Elijah was making decisions based on half-truths. Elijah was making decisions based on half-truths. When God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Do you remember what he said twice? Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, 
and they seek my life to take it away. Was there truth in there? Yeah. The people certainly had forsaken God's covenant, right? They had, they had thrown down God's altars. They had killed prophets of God with the sword. What was the half-truth part, right? That he alone was left, right? That he was alone was left. Here's the deal. Half-truths are really lies, aren't they? Right? What did Satan do in the garden with Adam and Eve? He told them half-truths and then questioned what God had really said, right? And, and, and seeing that, that the fruit was delightful for picking, uh, seeing, starting to believe these half-truths from the enemy, or in, in the case of Adam and Eve, the evil one, for Elijah, in terms of his enemy, Jezebel, believing the half-truths, then Elijah succumbed to the strategy of the evil one. What were the half-truths? That he was alone and that he was going to die. And, and he was not alone and he never died. Some of you who might not be as familiar with the faith, you're saying, what? As far as we know, Elijah was taken up by a chariots of fire, right? And, and never died. One of two people in Scripture to never die, right? And beloved, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're afraid, we are more vulnerable than ever to half-truths. We are more vulnerable than ever to lies. So assess yourself physically. Assess yourself emotionally, right? Or if God gives you that incredible privilege to walk with someone else, help them do that, right? Help them assess themselves physically, help them assess themselves emotionally. But there was another, there was another dimension here that was important for Elijah, and that was, that was the spiritual dimension. Assess yourself spiritually. Now, now where am I going with this? Um, I, I painted a picture, and it was me that was painting it. But if Elijah put himself in front of Ahab's chariot, then he was re-entrusting himself probably believing in his heart that what he had longed for his whole life, that the nation of Israel, who just a a few hours before had said, the Lord, he is God, right? The whole nation had proclaimed the Lord. There's going to be a revival. By the way, there's a revival going on right now in Kentucky. You know, it's just astounding that that, that what people have longed for, at least in a a microcosm, is happening in, in, in Kentucky right now. But, but, Elijah prayed for it for the whole nation, and he probably thought that it was happening. That the king's heart had been changed. That the people's heart had been changed. And we saw a few weeks ago that, that in reality their hearts were still far from God. Their lips were proclaiming something, right? Isaiah. Their lips were proclaiming that he is God, but their hearts were still far from God. right? And so where I'm going with this is I think that Elijah felt betrayed. And I, I'm, I'm guessing that he felt betrayed by Ahab when Ahab, who he had hoped would help him lead this national revival, certainly um, uh, when, when Ahab betrayed him to, to Jezebel, I mean, that would just break someone's spirit. But what, if, but what if it wasn't betrayal by Ahab that he was feeling? What if it was betrayal by God? 
even in the last week, a couple of different times, I've been with someone who felt betrayed by God. That's a, that's a terrible place to be. Now, again, there's no judgment or condemnation. Fully one-third of the Psalms in, in the book of Psalms are about when, when David or Solomon or Moses or, or the sons of Korah felt betrayed by God, right? My God, Jesus quoted that psalm, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? So if Jesus felt it, if, if Moses felt it, if David felt it, it makes sense that probably at some point we're going to feel that as well. Is that where you are? Do you feel betrayed by someone who you have entrusted your life to? Do you feel betrayed by God? If, if so, understand that that. Maybe, just maybe, this is why God included this amazing story for you, right? And maybe, just maybe, you need to see how God tenderly loved Elijah in the midst of that. He provided for him food and water. He provided for him a a spectacular revelation of himself encompassing uh, earth, wind, and fire, right? Uh, A a firestorm, uh, an earthquake, a terrible windstorm, all the ways that, that Elijah had come to traditionally understand God revealing himself. He showed him that. He he, the, Elijah was tucked away in that cave, hiding from the glory of God being portrayed. But the scripture was really clear. God did it because he wanted to see it was not the spectacular things like that where he could be found, right? What was it? It was, it was in uh, one translation says the thin silence. Other translations say the still, small voice. It wasn't in the spectacular, right? But it was in that whisper, that gentle whisper of God. And God came back to Elijah and said, after all that display of glory, Elijah, I'm still God, right? What are you doing here? And my heart breaks to think that our precious brother, through whom God did so many spectacular things, including his resurrection, that Jesus gave his disciples a glimpse of Elijah's resurrection. My heart breaks that in that moment, our brother could not, could not grasp that God was still in charge. And Elijah came back and said exactly the same words. I'm looking at you, Jennifer, for a second, but I bet when your kids were little, if you asked them something and they answered, and then you asked them the same question again, that probably meant the answer was a little bit, right? Insufficient, right? Yeah. Uh, you want to try again? And worse, there's a funny thing going on in the Hebrew right here. You can actually see it in a Hebrew uh, printout of the scripture. There is like a big space in there, right? In, and, and, and it's like the, the scribe wrote, and then there's this long space, right? I'm probably going backwards. This long space. And, and, and uh, again, as a mother, I imagine if, if you just didn't say anything and just looked at them, right? Yeah. You would know, right? And he comes back with the same, the same words. I think it was with a broken heart. And we're going to study this passage next week that God recommissioned him because, because Elijah hadn't been able to come back yet to that place where he trusted the Lord. 
with all his heart. He hadn't come back to that place where he stopped leaning on his own perceptions, his own understanding of the situation. Wow. What do we do when we come to that place, when we, when we get to that place where the journey is too much for us? From Elijah's story, I'm going to just encourage you, return to God and return to his purposes for your life. Last Tuesday, I preached um, this passage four times last Tuesday. And I, I, one of them was with people that were, I think the average age in the room was probably 85 or more. And, and, and they were just really tempted to believe that God was done with them, right? No, there's never a moment when God is done with you. Uh, there's, God has meaning and purpose for your life, right? So you've got to find the balance between meaningful work and rest so that you can run the marathon instead of the 100-yard dash, right? Um, I, I was never a good runner, but I tended to run longer distance races. And I, and I, was, uh, I despise those 100-yard people, right? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm running 12, 13 miles trying to train for something, and, and they're running 100 yards. Give me a break, right? Give me a break. Um, I'm teasing because we need 100-yard dash people too. But, beloved, the faith is not a 100-yard dash, is it? Life is not a 100-yard dash. Life is a marathon, and you're going to have to find that balance between work and rest. But also learn to distinguish between the voice of God, and in our notes I said the voice of the evil one, right? But you could put in parentheses right next to that, the enemy, right? Because Elijah couldn't discern between the voice of God and Jezebel. And, and our battle is not a physical one, right? Remember Ephesians 6? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but what? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? We've got to learn to recognize God's voice and learn to discern when it is the voice of the enemy, when it is the voice of the evil one, right? And... And the sweet invitation of God is through the study of his word. Get to that place where you recognize it, right? You can't even necessarily put your finger on it. But, but you go, you know what? That's not, that's not God's voice. Should you take your own life? If you're watching online, you know, and you're wondering, uh, I, I can't continue this journey. Should you? That's not God's voice. It's not his voice, right? No, God has meaning and purpose for your life. God has a solution to the short-term dilemma that you are in right now. That's why I want to call you, and worship team, come on up if you would. I want to call you to remember the promises of God. There are myriad promises of God in Scripture. Let me just highlight a couple of them, okay? When you come to that place where you're, where you're not sure what the future holds, remember the promises of God. He will never leave you or forsake you. There's five or six different contexts in Scripture where this come out, comes out. I included in my own notes, Joshua 1, 5 here, where, where God says to, uh, to Joshua, no man will ever be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Right? Just as I was with Moses, God says to Joshua, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? 
I will never leave you or forsake you. So even when it seems like you're alone, maybe just maybe you're in that thin silence. Oh, God is right there with you. Wait on the Lord. Listen for his voice. But remember also that he has others who have not bowed the knee. At the very last thing, when it seems like Elijah would not respond to God, when it seemed like Elijah wouldn't get back in the game, uh, God said to him, I've got 7,000 others who've not bowed the knee. Remember what Elijah said? I said it twice. I alone am left. And God says, you know what? That's a half truth. Um, You are not alone. I have 7,000 others in Israel who will stand with you. I have 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee. Beloved, you are never alone. I'm so grateful. Last week, a couple of different times, someone called me kind of out of the blue and, 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 and shared with me the desperation that they were in. I was so glad that they did that right. Because they reached out, they recognized that they were not alone, and they reached out for encouragement from someone else. He has others who have not bowed the knee. But lastly, I just want I want you to see God in this. God is able to keep you blameless through Jesus Christ. Our our blessing and benediction from First Thessalonians five twenty three and twenty four is this. Now may the God of peace himself make you completely holy. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I just took on a huge load of guilt. Uh, um, God, I can't do this. I can't live blamelessly. That's why I included 24. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. I feel like a teenager. My voice is cracking. He will surely do it. That's, God is the one who works in us to accomplish his purpose. All he asks is that we believe what he says is true. If you're in a point of desperation, hear the good news. There is a healer. There is a God who loves you and wants to reveal himself to you right now. Maybe, just maybe, we need to disregard all those voices of the world and the evil one that would call us away from him. Maybe, just maybe, we need to be still and know that he is God. I I included that in your bulletin as a memory verse because of the last part. I will be exalted, God says. This is going to happen. I'm going to work my purposes through you no matter what circumstances you face. Secondly, I just want to invite you not only be still, but believe again. Right? I know life has sucked all that faith. It sucked all that assurance out of you, but God is still God. And whenever, however fragile you are, or thinkingly you put your weight down on Him, He responds. He responds. Oh God, thank you We have so much more than Elijah did. We have his witness of his life and your tender love for him. 
God, we also have Jesus Christ who took our place, who died our death, who gave us his life. So God, wash over us with your peace till nothing remains, God. The still, small voice of the Lord saying to us, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Be still.